This is what Matthew's gospel says to us this morning. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And he, as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. If you would, pray with me for our time in God's Word this morning. Father, this is a a wonderful time of year when we have opportunity to celebrate the Advent, the coming of Christ the King. And yet, Lord, for many, this can be a very hurried and frustrating time of year. And even as we draw together this morning, our minds can be other places. Our minds can be on Christmas parties that are coming up. Our minds can be on gifts that need to be purchased. Our minds can be on how we're going to pay for the gifts that have already been purchased. We can be so easily distracted. But Father, as we see in this passage this morning, the sermon of an angel to these women, Father, we pray that you would preach it to us as well. Lord, that through your Holy Spirit you might awaken our hearts our eyes, our minds, to understand and see and comprehend and apply what we have before us this Lord's Day. And we pray for this in the name of Christ, our risen King. Amen. Well, as I just mentioned and prayed, this can be a very hurried time of year as we are all shopping and getting ready for Christmas. I remember a number of years ago while I was doing some shopping in a bookstore, I Overheard a conversation, there was a lady just other all over from me and she was asking the, the person working there for some help in finding a book. 
specifically, she wanted a book that would help her to communicate with her guardian angel. Uh, she was telling this store clerk how she knew that there was an angel that watched over her. She just didn't know how to talk to it. And she wanted to know how she could communicate with it. She felt its presence and she wanted to talk back. And so the clerk quickly told her, well, we have a number of books about that and showed her to where they all were. Our culture is somewhat fascinated with this idea of our, our guardian angels or angels or revelations from angels. You can find book after book, shelf after shelf, uh, both in bookstores as well as even in Christian bookstores that talk about these things. But sadly, I think much of it is deceiving. I looked just this week to see what some of the popular titles were when it comes to looking for books on angels. Here were a few that I came across. Uh, angels 101, an introduction to connecting, working, and healing with the angels. So it's, it's kind of like a college course. You start at 101, you go to 201, 301. You can probably get a degree in communicating with angels. Uh, Angel Tarot Cards was another popular title that I came across. You can imagine what that must be like. This was my favorite title. Angels, Aliens, and Prophecy, The Connection. So now we can finally figure out how E.T. and Gabriel all fit together in that book. Another title, one of the more popular ones, was 21 Days to Improve Communicating with Your Angels. And so, a very specific task there. 21 days, you can learn how. Uh, however, I read some reviews, and some weren't so positive. Some people were let down by this book. One reader said, The process in this book is really long, and it takes a lot of dedication. It's like a diet, and it's definitely not an easy process. Uh, if you pick up on sarcasm, then you're perceptive this morning. Most of these titles are deceptive. Uh, most of what you'll find, even in Christian bookstores, in this area of angelic revelation, I fear, is darkness masked in light. And most of it is completely void of what the Scripture warns us about. Now, I completely believe that God has angels who are messengers, and we see them active throughout God's Word. We see them active in the text today, but we must be informed about what the Scripture says to us concerning angels, concerning spiritual revelation. For example, we need to heed the words of John who wrote in, his, uh, in, in 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. John specifically says that there are going to be spiritual revelations. There are going to be people who say, I saw an angel. They gave me a message. Test those spirits. And the question then for us is, well, how do we test them? Well, John goes on to write this. By this you know <clears throat> the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And what you often find in these angelic bestsellers is very little confession about Jesus Christ as Lord. Now what you find is great deception. And that's why we're warned in God's word, not just in 1 John, but Paul's letter to the Galatians. He writes this, But if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Let him be accursed. 
See, there is great deception out there, and yet there is also great truth, but we find that truth in the Word of God. And so if you are curious as to what the real angels proclaim, well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. In the context of this passage, we're just going to look at a, at a few verses in more detail, uh, essentially at the message that the angel gives to these two Marys as they come to the tomb. Uh, the context is that the, the, the chief priests and the Pharisees have gone to Pilate and, and they understood from what Jesus said that he was speaking of a resurrection. And they understood when he made references to a temple being destroyed what he was really talking about to the point they were fearful that the disciples would come, steal the body of Jesus so they could run around and tell everyone that he truly had been resurrected. They were fearful that this would give his message even more power and them less power. And so they go to Pilate and they request guards. And Pilate essentially says to him, use your own soldiers. Uh, There were guards, there were soldiers whose job was to guard the temple. And so he's essentially saying, take the guards you have from the temple and go guard the tomb. And so the text tells us they go to do that, and specifically that they place a seal on it. Uh, There was a stone, the text tells us, in front of the the, the tomb there, and, and they put a seal on it so they would know if someone tampered with it. If someone moved it, the seal was broken. They go to great lengths to ensure that the disciples or anyone else doesn't go in there and tamper with the body. And yet, when we see what happens, the text tells us that an angel appears. He comes, there's a great earthquake. The uh, the angel of the Lord descends from heaven. The stone is rolled back and he sits on it. And this is the scene then that we have when Mary and the other Mary come and see this. And it's in that context that these angels then, this, this angel gives a message. And that's the message I want to look at this morning. Not just that we might better understand what happens in the text, but that we might better understand how this applies to our life today. There's a few lessons from it that I want to look at. And the first one is this. It's the first message that we have from this angel, and I think it's applicable to us as well. It's simply, do not fear. Do not fear. We see in the text leading up to verse 5 that there's great fear. Uh, These events happen and these guards, it says, tremble and become like dead men. And yet the angel doesn't say anything in the text to those men. The angel doesn't say to the men, don't be scared. No, the angel says something to these women as they approach. He says, do not be afraid. Do not fear question then for us is, well, what were they scared of? The text doesn't tell us directly, but I think there's some indicators. Uh, One, anytime you see angels in the scripture, you see messengers from God, it's a very different experience than what you read about in the book on how to communicate with angels that you'll find at Barnes & Noble. Uh, In those books, you'll read about people saying, oh, I I had this, this so warm feeling come all over me and I just, I just felt at peace and I, oh, it was just this comforting spirit. And yet in the scripture, what you see is people are afraid, people are overwhelmed, people are, are confronting something from God and they just fall down. Sometimes they try to even worship them, but they're scared, they're, they're terrified. And it could be very well that, that these women were just simply terrified at what they were seeing. But I think there's something more to it because of what the angel says. Verse 5, the angel says, Do not be afraid. 
For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. There's a connection here between their fear and what they were coming to see. And the angel says in that context, Don't be afraid. I know you're coming to see Jesus. I think perhaps there's an indication here that some of their fear may have to be to do with what they saw. Not just the angels. But, but imagine what they're walking into here. Imagine what we know, for example, about Mary Magdalene. We have some speculation about Mary Magdalene and is she this person that's mentioned. But, but we know for certain some things about her. And one of the things we know for certain, according to the gospel accounts, is that she was someone who had had demons exercised from her. She had been oppressed at some point by demons. And she had been freed from that demonic oppression by Jesus. And so imagine that for a moment. Imagine what you've seen in the text as we've gone through Matthew about those who were demon-possessed and demon-oppressed and, and how the demons completely controlled them. And here's one who had been freed from that. And here's one who had then left behind everything to follow Jesus. And here's one that not only did that, but when Jesus is on the cross, we read in the Scripture, she's one who's sitting there watching what's taking place. Where are the disciples at that point? We know that Peter followed at a distance from the garden, but he does that just and denies Christ. We know that John, the text tells us in the gospel account, seems to be there at present. But, but most of the disciples, but before Jesus was even hit, they run, they scatter in the garden when he's arrested. And yet here's one, Mary, who followed Jesus, who continued to follow Jesus, who, who watched her Lord be beaten and crucified. Imagine what must be going through her mind. This was not how she thought things would end. She, like others, believed that Christ had come to set them free and Christ was going to lead and Christ was going to be king and now he's beaten and he's dead. and She's left to simply go prepare the body. So the other gospel accounts tell us that she, along with the other Mary, they, they went, they get spices, they're going to prepare the body for burial. They're not expecting to find an empty tomb. And they come, and it's empty, and there's an angel, and they're scared, and the angel says, I know why you're here. And perhaps she is just overwhelmed that things have not turned out like she thought they would, and now the body of her Lord is not even there to prepare it, and this doesn't make sense. And yet we know in God's plan it makes perfect sense. But maybe Mary and the other Mary needed a reminder from these angels, just like we need a reminder from God this morning, that sometimes things don't make sense to us. Sometimes... In the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of this is not how I thought it was going to be, we need a reminder not to be fearful. We need a reminder that God is still in control. The angel will go on to tell these women exactly what God is doing. We need that reminder as well. One of the difficult responsibilities I have as a pastor is is sitting down with families in the midst of crisis, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of loss. And I often find myself wishing I could just reach into a pouch of pixie dust, you know, just sprinkle it and make it all better. I can't. Sometimes I just think, what what can I say? And I realize that there's, there's, there's nothing I can say 
that the only comfort I can offer them is the only comfort I have. And the comfort is this, that the tomb is empty. That Christ is risen. And that doesn't mean that the cancer is going to go away. It doesn't mean that pain and suffering is not going to be there. It doesn't mean that the debt's going to go away or the bank account's going to be full or the marriage is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean any of that. But what it means is that we serve a conquering king who is coming back for us. What it means is that we need to be reminded in the midst of pain and suffering not to be scared, not to be fearful, because he's in control. And I think that is in part what the angel is reminding these women of, because Jesus had not said to them or anyone else, if you follow me, man, your life is going to be so perfect. And you you think you've got a place to lay your head now? Man, you're going to have a great place to lay your head and and you think you've got a good job now, you're, you're going to have a great job. And, and that sickness, you, oh, that sickness is going to go away. Jesus never said any of that. In fact, Jesus says to Mary and Martha, when they're sitting there looking at the tomb where their dead brother is laid, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? the same question for us today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that though you and I will die, we will in fact live because there's great hope in that understanding? I think the angel is communicating this. I think we can learn from that. I think we can also learn from what happens then where verse 6, the angel says, come and see the place where he lay. Essentially, he is saying to them and to us, come and see the finished work of Christ. He, he doesn't just say, listen, he's not here. He said, come look for yourselves. Come see the place where he was laying and he's not there anymore. And do you realize what that means for us? It means Christ has conquered sin and death. That means Christ has done what we can't do. What we can never do. What only He could do. That means everything in the Scripture comes together in that moment. From from creation where you have in Genesis the the fall and sin and death and destruction that comes. And and you have this promise in the midst of that that one is going to come who's going to conquer all that. But yet what happens after that? More sin, more death, more destruction to the point where God gives His law. And what does His law do? It says, if you will do this, you will live. The problem is, nobody can do it. The the problem is, the law is the standard that no one can meet. Nobody can fulfill it. And yet, it had a point and a purpose. It was to point people towards the reality that they can't do it. But one would come who would be perfect. It would be Christ. The law served to remind us that as good as we think we might be, we're not even close. I love this quote by Martin Luther. Luther. He said, The law is a divinely sent Hercules who attacks and kills our self-righteousness. The law reminds us of how fallen we are. I was on a road trip this week to North Carolina and back with Caroline for some care for her. And on the way back, I was 
on one section of road and maybe you've had this experience where you're driving down the interstate, the highway, and all of a sudden you look at your, your speed and you realize you're in some type of construction zone and you're way beyond where you should be. Now, I already knew I was somewhat beyond where I thought I should be. You know, the 510 rule, whatever that might be. I thought I was safe, even though I was still breaking the law. And then I realized I was really breaking the law. And I slowed down. It reminded me of something. It reminded me that that's exactly what I do in life so often. Yeah, I think I'm pretty close to the standard. I think I'm doing pretty good. But then something comes along that reminds me I am so far from the standard. And the reality is none of us can meet the standard. The reality is the law reminds us we are sinful and we need a Savior. And when these women walk in and they come and see an empty tomb, they see that Christ has conquered sin and death and the law. Notice what they didn't find. The angels didn't say, well, the angels didn't say, listen, the tomb's empty, but Jesus left this to-do list for you, (laughs) you know. Now, he's conquered sin and death, and you're saved, we all know, you know, once saved, always saved, we know, but listen, now you got to try. I mean, you got to earn this now, you got got to work at it. We we don't want you just to abuse God's grace and run out there and do whatever you want, so listen, you better hear some rules, and yet, that's exactly how we view the gospel so often. As if Jesus left behind a to-do list. As if somehow we, we've got we've to earn this now. That somehow His grace plus our works equals... And, and I think we do that for so many reasons. But I think one hit, is hit on in that quote by Luther. And it's that we have a very overinflated view of ourselves. We, we think we're better than we are. You, you can always find someone worse than you. Just look around right now. I mean, look at me. <laughs> you, you can always find someone that makes you feel better when you look at your sin. Because you see them in their sin and you think, well, at least I'm not like that. Now, I would never say this in the midst of a conversation with my wife, but husbands, perhaps you found yourself saying to yours in the midst of a discussion, well, yeah, well, at least I'm not like so-and-so. I mean, that guy, you know, we, we compare ourselves to those worse than us, perceivably worse than us. Why? To make ourselves feel better. To, to make ourselves think somehow we're better than we are. And yet we read God's word and we realize how far away we are. And yet we've confused this whole issue to the point that I fear so many of us as Christians think we have to earn it, we have to work at it. And yet the message of the gospel is the tomb is empty because Christ, once and for all, died for sin. He conquered it all. He doesn't need to get on the cross again to pay for some more of it. He died so that you and I would not have to. He went into that grave so that you and I would not have to spend eternity in that grave. We will face death that we will face it as those who will live for eternity. Maybe for some of you, you don't have an overinflated view of yourself. You might have a very low opinion of yourself where you think, well, yeah, your problem is not comparing yourself to others and thinking better of yourself. Your, your problem is you think that somehow God can't even save you. I've had this conversation many times with someone who says, if you just understand, Richard, what I've done... I'm too far gone. 
And yet we find in the scripture no one is too far gone. I read from Paul's words earlier to the Galatians. Think of Paul. I mean, he was a man who was a murderer. He was a man, not just a murderer, he was killing those who represented the faith. He was trying to put to destruction the very church of Jesus Christ, whom Jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And here's Paul trying to represent the gates of hell and prevail against it. And yet what does Christ do? He appears to him and he converts him and he uses him to share the gospel with people all over the world. And you think God can't use you because of something you've done? Again, we need to understand what the gospel tells us. And the gospel says, there's none so far gone. And the gospel says, you haven't gone anywhere on your own. The gospel says, it is not of ourselves, it is completely of God. It is a gift from him. It is by grace, through faith, for all who will believe, once and for all, in the risen king, Christ Jesus, who has paid our debt and the tomb is empty. Come and see it. That's what the, the angel says to these women. Come, come and see it. But he doesn't stop there. I want to leave you with one more thing that he says. He says, come and see it. And then he says, but now go. (laughs) Come see it, but go quickly. You've seen it now, go. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And what are they going to do? Then they're going to go and tell others. And you read through the New Testament and you see, they see it, then they go and they tell. And that's a message for us as well that we need to go and tell others the good news. Our job is not to just sit and come and, and dwell on it. It's time to go out and tell about it. And yet I think if this were to happen in our modern context today, what would it be like? I think many of us very quickly would establish a daily Bible study that we would host at the tomb. Let's come learn about Jesus at the very place where he rose from the dead and we would invite people, come on over here and we're going to learn about it and we would, we would study everything down to the, the formation of the rock that it was cut in and every little nuance of it and we just become experts on it. Or maybe for some we would be drawn to, you know, I just... I never feel closer to God than when I'm at that tomb. And we would just retreat there for spiritual retreat and prayer and study. And and we just want to sit there and stay there. And yet what does the angel say? Go and tell. There's a time for meditative study of God's word and prayer. And we need to do that. But friends, we're much more apt sometimes to do that than we are to go out and tell, it who it, tell people who it is we're praying to and to tell them the tomb's empty. And, and that's what we're called to do. And that's the reason we talk about things like international missions is because there are billions. I mean, can you picture a billion? I mean, most of us would do good to picture a few hundred or a thousand Maybe you've seen a football game on TV where there's 50,000, 100,000. A billion? But not just a billion. There, there are billions of people today who will die and spend eternity separated from Christ under the wrath of God for their sin. And we're tasked with the burden and we're given the responsibility to go and tell them about the gospel, to go and tell them the good news. And yet I fear that we have failed and continue to fail because we're so fascinated with studying that empty tomb that we're not willing to go out and tell other people about it. 
I want to read to you a story perhaps some of you have heard before, but I think it's a great reminder of where we are, perhaps a conviction of where we need to go. And it's a story about fishing. It says, Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen, and lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. Year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish and the abundance of fish and how they might go about fishing. Continually, they searched for new and better definitions of fishing. They sponsored costly nationwide and worldwide congresses to discuss fishing and promote fishing and hear about all the ways of fishing. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and that every fisherman should fish. The one thing they didn't do, however, they didn't fish. They organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. The board was formed by those who had a great vision and courage to speak about fishing, define fishing, promote the idea of fishing, and faraway streams and lakes where many fish of other colors lived. Also, the board hired staff and appointed committees and held meetings to define fishing, defend fishing, decide what new streams should be thought about. But the staff... And the committee members did not fish. Expensive training centers were built to teach fishermen how to fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology. But the teachers did not fish. They only taught about fishing. Year after year, graduates were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters filled with fish. Further, the fishermen built large printing houses to publish fishing guides. A speaker's bureau was also provided to schedule special speakers on the subject of fishing. Many who felt called to be fishermen responded and were sent to fish, but like the fishermen back home, they never fished. Some also said they wanted to be part of the fishing party, but felt called to furnish fishing equipment. Others felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way, so that the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. After one stirring meeting on the necessity of fishing, a young fellow left that meeting and he went fishing. The next day he reported that he caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and scheduled to visit all the big meetings possible to tell how he did it. So he quit his fishing in order to have time to tell about the experience to other fishermen. He was also placed on the fisherman's general board as a person having considerable experience. Now it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen's club and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen yet never fished. They wondered about those who felt it was of little use to attend the weekly meetings to talk about fishing. After all, were they not following the master who said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who didn't catch fish were really not fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did sound correct as a person, a fisherman, if year after year he never catches a fish. I think you see the point there. It's very much who we've become. We call ourselves Christian. We love to talk Christian And we love to behave Christian, but the one thing that we fail to do so often is to tell others about Christ. That they might know the good news of the empty tomb. Maybe this Lord's Day, God is burdening you and me and our church with the need to go to the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ.
If you were here a few weeks ago when I was in Poland, you heard Alan Witham share some statistics just about our area that 90% of the people in our county this Lord's Day, they're, they're not in a church. So many of them have no affiliation with any church. We are amidst dying fish here. And there are people all over the world. Perhaps God might use you and me this Lord's Day to take them the good news of the gospel. It's not by your wisdom or might that it will happen. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. My prayer for you and me is that we would take this burden and we would use it to go and tell others about the gospel so that perhaps this Christmas season they might understand what it means when we say, come let us adore him. That they might understand the songs they hear in the stores of their shopping that sing of Christ our King who's been born. Because He grew to be a man and He went to the cross for their sin and our sin. And He went to the tomb, but the tomb is empty because He's been raised, because He has conquered sin and death and the law. And He reigns for eternity and He is returning for those who are His. And perhaps God would use this burden that at that great banquet table one day might be your neighbors and my neighbors and our co-workers and family members that this day aren't saved. That perhaps one day there will be students from Malaysia who are being reached through the cultures as we are here this Lord's Day who, who, who there know Christ because we were willing to send some out. Perhaps there will be some there who we've seen in pictures on videos that are just random people in the street And yet God knows exactly who they are. And they need salvation through Christ. Maybe there'll be someone there who at this point you think, there's no way they're ever going to become a Christian. Maybe God's putting that burden on your heart that you might be one through whom he works to reach them with the gospel. I want to do something just a little different this morning as we close. Uh, We will have an invitation and an opportunity if God is leading you to join this church, to confess Christ, to be baptized. We invite you to come forward. If if you've got a prayer concern, please come forward with that. But I want to ask everybody to respond today. To, To just take a moment during your invitation and just pray by name for someone you know who you don't know where they're at with the Lord. Or maybe you know exactly where they're at and they're far away. And just pray that God would so work in their lives that that this Christmas they might be able to come and adore Christ. That they might understand and respond to the gospel. Pray that God would empower you and use you and others to reach them with the gospel. If you would pray by name for those people. Because we serve a God who can shake the earth. And we serve a God who can make men appear as dead in shock. And we serve a God who in his plan chose to save me and many of you for his glory. And his work is not done. Let's pray that he would use us to further his kingdom. If you would stand with me and pray as we enter into this time. Father, I do pray that you would burden us. Lord, just with the names and faces of people we know who are lost. Lord, that you would burden us to talk to them about more than sports and news and weather and jobs and economies and politics. Father, that you would burden us to talk to them about the gospel. That you would burden us to just simply invite them to church this Christmas, that they might come and hear more about the gospel. Lord, that you would burden us to pray by name for them.
And Father, I do pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would work in the lives of everyone here this morning and the people they pray for. And Lord, that you would bring many to faith in Christ. That many would come to understand the tomb is empty because Christ is risen. Father, that this Christmas that they would understand the gospel for the first time. And I pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen.